Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24. We're going to actually read a, a larger passage than we're going to look at this morning, but I just want us to get a, a feel of what happened on that first resurrection morning. Give attention to God's Word. Luke 24, beginning with verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were uh, talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. And while they were talking... And discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. 
And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. That sends a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much that we could gather here this morning in your house to, to worship you and to lift up our, our hearts in worship and praise. Lord, uh, we thank you so much that, that part of that worship is for us to come to sit before you and have you instruct and teach us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Father, that you would uh, that you would encourage those that need to be encouraged, that you would rebuke us, Lord, where we need to be rebuked. Oh Lord, that you would deal with our hearts in whatever way we might need this morning, that we might leave this place uh, as the disciples that encourage and rejoicing and witnessing to you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we gather this morning on this Lord's Day as Christians with great joy to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? It is a glorious day. I mean, each Lord's Day is, is wonderful, but uh, what a great day it is to come and to speak of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things that struck me as I was reading this passage in Luke 24 this week and studying it was just how much that was not the case on the first resurrection morning. That that was not the response of the early Christians to be one of rejoicing. I mean, if you, if you look at the different groups that this passage mentions, you have the women who loved Jesus very much. That was very evident in their acts of, of kindness and mercy in preparing the spices for his body. And yet, on that day, they were mourning. They had lost a friend. They had lost their master. And now they were coming to the tomb, most likely tired. Uh, they had been preparing spices, um, but then that had been cut short as the Sabbath day had come. And so surely they did have a day of rest, but still they got up early in the morning to go to the tomb to take the spices to Jesus. And, and yet we know that they were also worried. And now Luke's gospel doesn't tell us, but Matthew, or excuse me, but Mark's gospel tells us that as they were on their way, they were wondering, I wonder how we're going to get the stone to roll away so we can get into the tomb. And so you have these women who were mourning and tired and, and, and yet worried. And then you have the apostles along with others that were meeting with them. And they were scared and they were hiding in the upper room. Now, it doesn't tell us that here, as I said in Luke, but in John's gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 19, we read, And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So here are the apostles, fearful that the Jews may come and do to them maybe what they did to Jesus, or at least throw them in jail. I mean, you think about it, if you have a leader, you know, you, you also have the followers, and particularly like the first sergeants of, of the leaders, and, and you want to round up all those leaders 
and to take care of them so that movement doesn't continue. And, and the disciples knew that. The apostles knew that. And so they were, they were hiding. And then, of course, there's this account with the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. We don't know who they were. We know Cleopas, but we don't know who the other one was. But it's not really important. Or Luke would have told us. Um, but here they are. They were going to the road. They were discussing the things that, that had happened, maybe processing those things. And Jesus comes. They don't recognize him as Jesus. But Jesus comes and he asks them about their conversation. And, and Luke describes their response this way in verse 17. He said, and they stood still looking sad. Looking sad. Now, I, I think for us to understand the response of these uh, followers of Christ, we have to understand that they had high hopes of, of Jesus. That, that everything was pointing in the right direction to Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, even the, the two that were on the road to Emmaus was telling Jesus about Jesus because they didn't know who he really was. And this is how they described Christ in verse 19. He said, He was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And so they, they had great hope that, that Christ may have been the Messiah. And the Jews expected that when the Messiah came, that he would usher in an entire new age, that he would overturn their oppressors, that he would rebuild the temple, that he would establish God's justice. And so these individuals in these chapters were responding to the events of Jesus' death and resurrection uh, within the, the pattern of the paradigm of that day. And what they thought uh, about the Messiah simply wasn't fulfilled in Christ. And so I, I hope we sort of grasp, at least to some degree, that the seriousness of this matter of Christ's death for these early believers, because for them, it was over. Now think about this. What, what if, I mean, you know, here they are, they had followed this rabbi, okay, they had left their jobs, at least the apostles had, and they followed him, they uprooted their families, they took their families with them, and they followed Jesus, thinking that he was going to be the Messiah. And then he was killed. And so it was over. Everything had come to a crashing halt. Their hopes had collapsed. Their dreams had been extinguished. You know. And, and while these two disciples uh, who were on the road to Emmaus had heard about the report from these women, because they were with the apostles, when the women showed up, they really did not... Uh, understand this idea of the resurrection. They really didn't have a, a paradigm in their thinking by which to process this and think about Jesus as rising from the dead. And so in their thinking, the crucifixion was not evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, that's how we view it, right? We look at the cross and we go, praise the Lord, Jesus is the Messiah. But that's not how they viewed it. You know, quite the opposite. Jesus' claims of being the Messiah was not true and the kingdom had not come. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you, you see that as these two disciples are talking to Jesus about Jesus, and they're talking about him in the past tense. In verse 21, they say, but we had hoped, we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one to redeem Israel. And they had expected Jesus to radically turn things upside down, but that didn't happen, and everything went dreadfully wrong. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do is simply to walk through this resurrection and look at the account of the different people, the women, of the disciples, and, uh, and, and just sort of ask ourselves, so what? Why is this so important? And, and so as we, as we come and we read these first 35 verses of Luke, uh, you'll see that it begins with really talking about that resurrection morning with the women coming to the tomb, with them then going to the disciples. And then later on in the day, we don't know when, but maybe afternoon or something, then we have the account of the two disciples who were with the 11 apostles but had left the return home to Emmaus that they were walking on the road leaving Jerusalem when Jesus had come and he had met them. And he talked with them. They didn't recognize him, but he, they asked him to stay with them. They did. When Jesus began to break bread before them, they, they saw that it was Jesus. But then he disappeared. But their hearts were so stirred that they actually made the return trip to Jerusalem to go to uh, tell the 11 apostles, guess what? We saw Jesus. He is risen. And, and they explained these things. And, and, and that's... Uh, with this account, that Luke builds a beautiful picture of the significance of the resurrection. So, uh, you know, un until at the very end of the chapter, these disciples who really began the day with much grief and sorrow were being sent into the world to go and to proclaim the message to the nations of the risen Christ. And so you see quite a different picture here. And as we look at this chapter, we'll see sort of that development in the story. In verses 1 through 12, you see Jesus is risen, but it doesn't seem that he's present. And that's actually very significant if you read all of Luke's gospel. Because Luke is writing to Theophilus, and, and he's wanting him to see who Jesus is. And so as you, as you move through the gospel of Luke, Everything centers around Jesus. It's Jesus this, and Jesus that, and Jesus said this, and Jesus did that, and Jesus went here, and Jesus went there. And everything is about Jesus until it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus is absent. And I really think that what Luke is trying to do there is to show Theophilus and to show us that the reason why Jesus is absent is because he is risen. And so... Jesus is risen, but he, he doesn't seem to be present. Even though in the, the other Gospels, there's accounts of Jesus talking to people at the tomb. But then, uh, as we move to the afternoon scene, and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is present with them, but he doesn't seem to be recognized. And then eventually, by the end of this narrative, you find that Jesus is marvelously both present and recognized by the disciples. So that's sort of the progression that we see here. And I wish we had time to move through the entire chapter. It's just a, it's a glorious chapter. And there's a lot to it, but we would be here till next, till next Easter. And so we won't do that. We're just going to just look briefly at the first uh, 11 or 12 verses of Luke's account. Now, Luke is writing this account, uh, his gospel, after doing painstaking research and talking to eyewitnesses. So most likely, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, most likely Dr. Luke had talked to some of these women who had been uh, at the tomb, and maybe even the apostles. And you can just imagine what that interview might have sounded like. And so he said, so, you know, just walk me through that first resurrection Sunday morning. 
and tell me what happened. And, and then that's what we see in the account that Luke gives us here this morning. So let's just look at this. The narrative begins with the women coming to the tomb in, in, uh, in the morning in sort of a state of confusion. As a matter of fact, those that don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ will oftentimes uh, espouse that they believe that what happened was is that the women had so much mourning and, and they were, it caused them such confusion that really what happened is they just got the wrong tomb. And, and so, you know, it, they, they had the right intentions. They just ended up at the wrong place. Uh, but the problem with that is if you go back and look at the end of chapter 23, beginning with verse 55, we read that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So these women actually had already been to the tomb the day before the Sabbath day, the, the day that Christ was taken off the cross. And so they were there. Now, you know, it used to be before the days of GPSs, most of you are too young to remember this, but if we had to go somewhere important, we might do a drive-by. You know, we might go by that place just to make sure we knew where it was at. Nowadays, you just plug it into your phone and it'll say, you know, you've arrived at your destination, you know. But before then, we didn't have that. So we just had to sort of drive by. Now, that's not what happened with these women. They didn't just drive by, you know, to see where the tomb was. They actually were at the tomb. They saw Jesus' body in the tomb and it was later. So they were there for at least some period of time. So it wasn't just a, a casual uh, knowing where it was at. They had spent some time there. And then it says, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But now the Sabbath is over, and so the women make their way through the streets in the early hours of the morning to go to the tomb because they were hoping to prepare Jesus' body properly. Uh, the process was sort of interrupted with the Sabbath, and, and, and so now they come to the tomb. And, and brothers and sisters, you just got to read this passage and admire these women for their love for Jesus and their faithfulness to Him. You know, as I said earlier, as they were on the way to the tomb, they were, you know, talking to themselves, how are we going to move that stone? You know, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. You know, whatever they were saying. And, and, uh, but when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And so the women arrived and, and they walked into the tomb and guess what? Jesus wasn't there. His, his body was gone. And this is where we see uh, that the women were confused or as this, the ESV says, they were perplexed. You know, they, they looked in here and they saw, you know, what really surprised them. They expected to see the body as they had seen just a couple days before. Well, brothers and sisters, often it is with perplexity that the gospel often begins to make its way into our hearts. Have you ever thought about that? For a person who has all the answers, their heart and their minds are rarely open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we are perplexed, when we have questions about the things that we experience, Oftentimes, then, we are more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these women, they're standing there perplexed. And, and all of a sudden, we're told in verse 4 that two angels appeared to them. Now, in this portion of the text, it says describes them as men in dazzling apparel. But later on, when the two men on the road to Emmaus are talking, 
then they refer to them as, as angels. And the angels asked the women a very probing question. They said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Now, they were confronting the women, uh, but they were doing so gently. And, and they basically were asking this question. Kids, this is what they were saying. They were saying, why do you guys come to a graveyard when you're trying to look for somebody who's alive? Okay? Why, why are you in a graveyard? There's just dead people here, but this is somebody who's, who's alive. Now, this is the thing about these women. The women were sure that they knew about Jesus. They, they had followed him during his ministry. We see the accounts of these women in other places in the gospel in association with Jesus. But they not only were disciples of Jesus, they also were supporters of him as well. And they contributed to his ministry financially, not only to provide for Jesus, but also for his apostles as well. And so these women were profoundly committed women to the Lord Jesus. But, but the question that the angels asked them really unveiled a very obvious truth. And that is that they did not yet really understand who Jesus Christ was. They didn't get it. Because they were looking for the living among the dead. And if they had known who Jesus was, if they had listened to him, then they would know that he would not be there. Now, I want you to understand that this doesn't mean that they did not believe the right things about Jesus. You know, it, it could be that these women could quote to you things that Jesus had taught. Maybe they could quote to you the entire Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. But... The reality is, is probably most of them knew their Bibles better than us. They sat at the feet of Jesus and they listened to his teaching. But the fact of the matter is, is that they did not really understand who Jesus is as well as, as they thought they did. And so these, these angels come ever so gently to say to these women that if you are to understand who Jesus is, you must be confused and perplexed in your mind with an awareness that you have not really grasped who Jesus Christ is. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's when we are confused or perplexed by who Jesus really is that we are challenged to let go of our perception of who Jesus is and believe in Jesus as He really is. Did you hear that? You see, as, as we are being challenged, as we get to those points in our lives where we're just like, I don't, this doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes God does that to us. We think we understand who God is, and then He does something that just sort of shakes us, and it challenges us, and we realize that, the, that what we're thinking about God isn't, isn't really true. So I guess you could say in one sense, my goal as a preacher is to confuse you. And you may say, wow, Pastor Rick, you really do a good job of that. You confuse us every Sunday. I don't know. But that's not the kind of confusion I'm talking about. You know, what that means is, is that I'm supposed to preach Jesus so clearly that, that you are confused because the Jesus that I'm preaching about maybe isn't the Jesus that you're always following. You know, how often have you heard someone say, well, God, my God's not like that, or my God wouldn't do that. You see, people that, that have this view... Uh, of Jesus, they're not willing to let go of that. They're not confused at all. They've already made up their minds of who they want Jesus to mean, be. They have their minds made up to believe the Jesus that's nothing more than a figment of their imagination. 
It's somebody who they want Jesus to be. It's a, it's a Jesus that makes them feel comfortable. But I can almost guarantee you that such a Jesus is not the living and the life-transforming, saving and gracious Savior that the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's not a friend who is resurrected from the dead, who is triumphant over all of our enemies. That's not who their Jesus is. You see, these women believed in Jesus, but they did not really know Him, even though they thought they did. And it wasn't until they let go of the Jesus of their own imagination that they find the Jesus of the glorious <clears throat> resurrection. And so this was a very significant moment for these women. What they believed about Jesus was being challenged. So, you know, you could say that confusion can be a good for the soul if it leads us from our mistaken perceptions of who Jesus Christ is. And brothers and sisters, we all could be challenged in this in one way or the other. I mean, you think about our lives and the things that, that we wrestle with and we struggle with. And I oftentimes wonder if, if we really saw Jesus for who he is, would we wrestle with these things so much more when we have such a great Savior? Well, in verses 6 through 8, these women are brought from a state of confusion to uh, a wonderful uh, experience of illumination. Uh, as the angels challenge them, and they say in verse 6, Remember how he told you, that is Jesus, how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In other words, Jesus has already told you what was going to happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus told you over and over and over again. It would be an interesting study. I didn't take the time to do it this week. But it would be interesting to see how many times Jesus told his disciples, particularly towards the end of his ministry, uh, what was going to happen to them. And, and as much as they heard Jesus teach this, as much as they heard this truth, the reality is they didn't take it in. And brothers and sisters, how we can be like that as well, right? As we hear God's Word being taught, or as we read it again and again, uh, we don't always take it in. Sort of reminds me of a, a, a situation my wife and I had. We actually have done a fair amount of counseling, particularly marriage counseling. And we were meeting with this couple who were struggling in their marriage. And so we just began to show them Jesus. We just began to open the Scriptures and see who Jesus is and what he says about marriage and, and how we are to relate to one another. And uh, the Lord worked in that couple's lives. And, and you just began to see healing come to that marriage relationship. And, and they said to us, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And, and I told my wife, I, when we got done, I said, you know what's so funny? I said, there's nothing that we told them that wasn't preached from the pulpit each and every Sunday at that church. It was a gospel-preaching church. And we just took the things that they already had heard, and, and we just, the Lord used us to help take it in and for them to hear. Well, these angels are teaching these women to think about everything that they experience through the lenses of God's infallible Word. And, and, and that's what they've done. They're just taking them back to Jesus' own words. But this isn't the only place we see that. Look down at verse 27. We see Jesus as he's talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He begins to clear up their confusion. Well, how does he do that? He does it the same way the angels did. 
He takes them back to what God's Word says. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Jesus, um, this is what Jesus did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He just took them back to God's Word. And then, and then he said in verse 25 and 26, the verses that come just before that, that he says, Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Here again, he's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection and how he will be entered into glory. So Jesus, like the angels, teaches these disciples to think about everything they experience through the lenses of God's infallible word. But it, it didn't just happen twice, but look down at verse 45. We had read this verse, but in verse 45, we see the same thing happening again. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And not only that, but if you go on in verse 27, it says, because Jesus rises from the dead, because he bears the burden of our sin and our guilt and our shame on the tree in his sin-burdened body, we see in verse 47 that there is forgiveness of sins. That the empty tomb is evidence that the son's sacrifice on the cross was acceptable to the Father. It sort of reminds us of uh, Pilgrim's progress. Do you remember when Pilgrim was still carrying his burden of sin? And he's before the cross, okay? And as he's before the cross, what happens, kids? Do you remember? Have your parents read your Pilgrim's Progress yet? If not, you need to ask him to. It's really cool. But his burden falls off, and it rolls down the hill. And where does it go? It goes into the empty tomb. It goes into the empty tomb. Because Jesus has borne our sins and our guilt, the burden may now roll from our shoulders, brothers and sisters. As Jesus says here, there is forgiveness of sins only in Him as we turn in faith from sin and repentance. It is saying to God, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. What men and women pay millions of dollars for each year in counseling, I don't know, maybe trillions of dollars, I don't know how much people pay for counseling, but they pay a lot of money to go to, to counselors. But they go to counselors that can really never provide what, what they really need. And yet Jesus gives it to them freely. Now I'm not saying counseling is not important, okay? But Jesus gives it freely. A knowledge that whatever my sin has been, whatever my guilt or my shame is, Jesus Christ is able to save us completely for those who come to God through Him. And so we see the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the experience of these women, but also in the response of the apostles as well, in verses 10 through 12. Now, the women finally grasp who Jesus is and what He came to do, so what do they do? They're excited to think that Christ is risen from the dead. And so they go and they share the good news. They run back to the 11 apostles and those that were meeting with them to tell them. Now, that, that's just a very appropriate response as, as, the, as the reality of the resurrection permeates our hearts and we see who Jesus Christ is and what He's done. We are compelled to come and to tell others about Jesus Christ. And so the women come and they, they tell the apostles, but the apostles didn't believe a word that the women said. 
Uh, they didn't respond in faith, but in belief. And we know this because if you look at verse 11, it says, But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, now the Greek word that's translated idle tale is a medical term that describes the babbling of a sick person who's delirious. Okay, have you ever known someone like that? That they're so sick that they're delirious. And so the apostles viewed these women as sort of out of their mind. Maybe a phrase that we might uh, use is to say, they're talking crazy. You know, they're just not making sense. And, and, and because who could possibly come back from the grave? Now, I don't know if you were ever an enthusiastic young Christian. I hope you were at some point in time. Even if you came to faith in Jesus Christ later in life, you may not have been, you know, age-wise young, but you may have been a young believer, and I hope you were enthusiastic. And I hope you were telling people about Jesus. And, and if you were such a person, uh, and I can remember those years when I would just, I, you know, you just couldn't keep me from telling people about Jesus. And there would be times where I'd say, guess what Jesus has done for me? And people sort of look at you like, who is this guy? You know? Somebody needs to come wrap him up in a coat and drag him away, you know? He's just sort of bonkers. Well, that's sort of how the disciples looked at these women um, as they came and they shared this news. And it's not just that the apostles were slow to catch on, no. You know, at the end of the day, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that enables a person to understand the gospel and, and, and it's only the Holy Spirit that makes our hearts burn within us as we hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But whenever we, we share scripture with others, there's really only two types of people, two types of hearts that are listening. There's either the burning heart or the cold heart. And in this case, it, it looked like that the apostles' hearts were cold. But then something marvelous happens, we read in verse 12. Um, out of the person you would probably felt the worst about Christ dying, uh, we read in verse 12, but Peter, but Peter, okay, Peter steps up. Now when we think of Peter, there may be a lot of things that come to mind. You may think of Peter as being very impetuous, okay, he just sort of jumped in before he thought. I can sort of relate to that somewhat, unfortunately. You know, so Peter was one of these guys that was always putting his foot in his mouth. Okay, that might be what comes to your mind. Or, it may be, you might be thinking about Peter as he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, while the other apostles were telling these women that they simply were probably overexcited, Peter runs to the tomb. And he stoops down and he looks in and he sees the linen cloths by themselves. And Luke describes Peter's reaction as he walks away from the tomb. And he went home marveling at what happened. Now, marveling is really a mixture of being stunned by what we see, but also an amazement, an admiration. And, and what a great reaction that Peter has, that as he sees what happened, he marvels. He's, he's, he's sort of stunned, but he's also amazed. And oftentimes when God is working in the hearts of his children, there is a marveling. A combination of being shocked and yet also amazed. Brothers and sisters, when we hear the gospel, that, that most of us, I think, have heard uh, all of our lives. I, I know a lot of your testimonies, and many of you have grown up in the church. But as you hear the gospel, 
And, and not just like a gospel presentation, but just even as you hear the scriptures and, and the gospel message, is there a sense of marvel in your life? When we sing that great hymn, Amazing Grace, is there a sense of amazement in our hearts regarding God's grace? Maybe. But I think if many Christians were honest, they say, yeah, no, not really, not so much so. But then, when we consider Jesus, when we look at Him, and, and we see Him not as we do in our minds and our preconceived notions of who Jesus is, but when we see Jesus as He is laid out in Scripture, and, and we see Jesus' love for His people, when we see that Jesus gave Himself for me, and He died on the cross, that the burden of my guilt might roll away and be forever lost in the power of of his resurrection, then oftentimes that amazement returns. And, and I, like Simon Peter, may have hope. I mean, think about Peter as he's standing there in that empty tomb and the grave clothes are neatly folded up. And I don't know if they were in the corner or where they were, but they were off by themselves. You know, and just to think, if, if Jesus has truly risen from the dead, then Peter could be forgiven. Oh, what joy, brothers and sisters, to think about Christ and what His resurrection means for those who believe in Him. And we do know that later that, that Jesus does appear to Peter and He does restore him. But Jesus not only appears to Peter, but also to all of the apostles. And He, once again, is, is their master and He sends them as ambassadors all over the world to bring the message of forgiveness and restoration to men and women and boys and girls. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, as, as we gather, Christians all over the world can say together, not only by rote, He is risen! But they can say in their hearts, He is risen indeed. Because they understand that He is the risen Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning as we close, I just want to challenge you and ask you, are you following the Jesus that is a figment of your imagination? A Jesus of your own molding? Maybe shaped by what you would like Jesus to be? Or what you think Jesus ought to be? Maybe you are trying to make a Jesus that is safe. A Jesus that is there for you, but not a Jesus that you have to commit to? Or are you following Jesus as He really is? You know, brothers and sisters, as, as Christians, we can be like these women. That we can have the right beliefs about Jesus. We can know who He is to some degree, but maybe we don't understand Him completely. And so, in, in our lives, it, it sort of shows. Uh, we as men gathered for a men's study this past Wednesday, and, and our chapter that we talked about was on anxiety and frustration and discontentment. And, and, I, and I think as, as we considered that and we looked at that, you know, we, we recognize that when we wrestle with those sins and struggle, it's because we don't see Jesus for who He really is. If we understood Jesus for who He is, we could rest in Him and His power to know that there is nothing that is beyond Him. 
that His love for His children is so great and we can just rest in Him. We can just delight in Him. And so this morning, let us just be reminded as we look at the resurrection that there is only one Jesus. The real resurrected Jesus. And He bids us to come and to follow Him and to put our trust and our faith in Him as, as we walk with Him each day of our lives. Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads as we meditate on God's Word this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise your name because we see this morning that you are greater than we think you are. God, we may be here today and we think we know you well. We've walked with you maybe for, for many years and we've seen you do great things. But maybe there's ways, oh God, that we have, have really thought incorrectly about you and, and we really have made a, a, an idol. Uh, an image that's other than who you really are. And we pray, oh God, that you would forgive us, but pray that you might reveal yourself to us through your word and that we might know you, that we might serve you, we might worship you as you are. Lord, I pray for, for, uh, for us as your people that as we leave this place, that we would rejoice knowing, oh God, that you are greater than we imagine or think. And that, Father, that we might walk in your joy of knowing you. That we might enjoy sweet fellowship with you this week. In times of, of prayer, and times with your word, as not only individually, but even as household. And, Father, I, I just want to pray as well for those this morning who don't know you. Or maybe those who have said, well, you know, my God would never do that. Or my God is like this. I, I pray, oh God, that you would challenge them. Lord, that you would open their eyes as you did the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that they would see you for who you are and that they would follow the real Jesus. We thank you, oh Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat>